This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hey guys, and welcome to this week's episode of Gen Z Money. This week we're continuing our property mini series, but today's episode is going to be a little bit different. I thought I would chat today about my reasons for not purchasing property, just to keep it balanced around here. Now, I thought I'd just start with some general information and statistics about property purchases for Gen Z like us. So a 2020 study by ING found that 23% of Gen Z are saving to cover costs associated with buying a property. Now, I can't speak for everyone, but I'm sure that there are many people listening who are planning on buying a property in the next couple of years, or at least know people our age who are looking to do so. It is not unusual at all, as it's absolutely the Australian dream to buy property. And of course, property has been a great investment for many Australians over time. However, I do think that this expectation we set on ourselves to buy property can have a dark side and it doesn't give people much room for critical thinking and looking at other options outside of property. I'm personally seeing more and more people expand their horizons and consider investments outside of property and I'm also seeing property owners who in some cases say that they regret buying a house and wish they were a little more open-minded when it came to deciding what they want to do with their money. So on that vein, I thought I would just share a perhaps unpopular opinion for anyone out there who wants to balance out their views a little more or consider um, other options. So to start out, I thought I'd talk a little bit about why I have chosen not to purchase property at this stage in my life. So if we go way back to my first concept of buying property, that would be when my parents bought their first property in Adelaide. Now, this was my family's first time buying a house. It was quite a big deal for us as we didn't have much money growing up. And we bought a house in an area of Adelaide. It was a very cheap house for most people in what I would politely describe as an aggressively average area. Now, by that, I mean I would never, ever live there again. But it was a foot in the door, just like many Australians who start out with a starter home for their first property. However, it didn't turn out to be the best investment for my family. My parents put a lot of hard work into renovating this property and making it appealing for prospective buyers. They made this place look absolutely amazing. It was definitely one of the nicest houses in that area and they did it all themselves on a budget. I have huge amounts of admiration for them and what they did to that house. However, by the time it came to selling that property... I believe that my parents either broke even or they actually left at a slight loss after they took into account the cost that they accrued from renovating that property. In that area that we were living in, the house prices just weren't going up. I haven't checked since then. I can't imagine they've gone up a great amount since that time as it's just not an area that many people want to live in. And having the best house on the worst street is not necessarily always a good investment strategy. Not every property increases in value over time and that was my first exposure to that idea. However, I was just like most people and by the time I was in university studying financial planning um, and working you know, 30 hours a week, I was saving to purchase a house. Now, I had a partner at the time, a long-term partner, and he decided to go work and do some fly-in, fly-out work, and that meant that we could save even more money to potentially buy a house sooner. However, by the time 
that we actually had enough money for a deposit, we realized it wasn't actually our goal. For me, that realization came when I was aggressively saving money to put money aside for a deposit. I wouldn't go out to parties with my friends. um, And this was in my late teens and early 20s, which is like your peak time for going out and experiencing the world. I didn't want to do any of those things because I was so focused on buying a property in my early 20s. That lasted for a couple of years and I really do regret doing that because there are so many experiences that I missed out on in that time. However, it did teach me how to save pretty aggressively, so that's a good thing. One day I realized that saving for a deposit on a house, which was such a monumental task as a full-time student, part-time worker, was actually making me depressed. It was making me more unhappy. It wasn't till I realized that there were options outside of buying a house and that it was okay to not buy a house that I finally felt content. It was like a weight off my shoulders realizing that I don't have to buy a house in my early 20s if I don't want to. I decided to take my focus away from buying a house young. Now, I just feel that there's this huge pressure on people to buy a house in their 20s and that is largely due to the fact that it is considered a symbol of success and I would argue that is not completely true. There are a lot of people, a lot of young people who own homes, but potentially they don't have much equity in their homes. They're perhaps struggling to pay their mortgage or they got there with a lot of help from family members, which is an incredible blessing if you do have that opportunity. However, owning a home does not necessarily equal success, nor does it equal happiness. Despite that fact, there is a lot of pressure on people to get their foot in the property market potentially sooner than they're ready for or sooner than they should. Now, if you're passionate about personal finance, which I am sure you are if you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to assume that you've probably heard the debate of shares versus property before. It is an age-old debate and it's gaining more and more popularity as time goes on, as property becomes more unattainable and the public education around shares and investing outside of property becomes more popular. Now, I have always sat on the pro shares side of that argument. However, when I do that, I can only speak for myself as I believe there is no investment that is better than the other when it comes to shares and property. It is completely dependent on your goals and your lifestyle and your investment preferences, which is what I'm going to talk about today. So I'm going to go through some reasons as to why I personally chose not to invest in property, not because I think property is bad. Property is just like shares in the way that if you get a good property, which is a good asset, you're going to have a good outcome, just like if you choose a good asset when it comes to buying shares. However, I just want to debunk the idea that every property is a good investment, just as irrational as saying that every share or every ETF or every managed fund is a good investment. It's just not true. Now, I'm sure there are people that are going to disagree with me here. And if you disagree with me, that is totally fine. I probably agree with your side of things too. These are not blanket rules. They're just my personal reasons for why property does not suit my needs at this stage in my life. So number one, there is an inherent lack of diversification that comes with buying a property. Now, you hear people talk a lot about diversification when they're talking about investing in the share market. We all know the saying that you shouldn't put all your eggs in one basket. That's why people often choose to invest in diversified ETFs to make sure that they're getting exposure to a large range of shares. An example of diversification is if you were to buy a exchange-traded fund, an ETF, that is invested in the top 200 companies in Australia, 
If one of those companies go broke, you would barely even notice a change in your investment performance because that is one out of 200. However, if you are a young Australian like myself, you probably can't afford to buy 200 residential properties and be fine if one of them doesn't make a profit. When you purchase a home to live in or use as an investment, you are fully invested in a single asset class, which is a property in a single area, and you are placing all of your bets on the fact that that one property is going to go up in value over time. For me personally, that is too risky. I do not wish to bet you know, $500,000 on the fact that that one property out of all of the properties in Australia is going to perform well over time. That's just my personal risk tolerance. Now, of course, with proper research, proper analysis and professional advice and a really educated approach to purchasing property, you can significantly reduce the risks of purchasing a bad property or a bad asset through all of those avenues. I am not saying that property is inherently risky or more risky than shares. However, there are risks associated with buying property, just like there are with any other investment class. And for me, that is just a type of risk that I am not comfortable with taking on at this stage of my life. Another downside to property is that there is a lack of liquidity when it comes to purchasing property. So when I say liquidity, let's say, for example, you run into some kind of emergency where you need to access $50,000. Now, let's hope if it's a medical emergency, you have sufficient life insurances in place. They're going to help you with that. And if you don't, make sure you go listen to our episode with Phil Thompson. We talk all about insurances and it's really good. Now back to the example. So yeah, I need $50,000, but let's say I've just purchased my first home and all of my wealth is tied up in my home. I maybe don't have much savings because I allocated so much of my money towards buying that house and now I have this house. In this situation, I'm kind of stuck. I can't just carve off a bedroom of my house and sell that in order to access some money. This is a case of illiquidity. It means that I can't turn my asset into cash quickly when I need it. This, on the other hand, is a benefit of investing in the share market if that's something that you would like to do because it is liquid. You can sell down those investments and turn that into cash if you need it. Now, in preparation for the counter argument that many people would have, of course, you could draw down on your equity, you may, have a, you may have a redraw, you may have an offset account, of course, you can do all of those things. But for many young Australians getting their foot into the property market, they've had to sacrifice a lot of um, outside investment, they've had to sacrifice a lot of savings to get there, and they often don't have those things to fall back on when an emergency comes around. So a lack of liquidity is often an inherent trait of owning property. Now, anyone who has saved for a property, perhaps successfully purchased one or is in the process of purchasing property knows that on a similar vein, there is a lot of sacrifice that comes with saving to purchase a property. Now, if purchasing property is truly of great value to you and that is a goal that you believe will bring you absolute happiness and contentment in your life, then that sacrifice is clearly worth it. But for me, I don't associate my success with owning property. It's not even something that comes into the picture. However, if I did want to get my foot in the door and own property, I'd have to sacrifice a huge amount to do so. I would have to significantly reduce or stop my investing into shares and focus solely on saving that deposit, which as we know, having a 20% deposit this day and age is incredibly hard and even harder on a single income. 
So the entry cost of purchasing property is extremely high when you compare it with most other investment classes. In the case of shares, these days you can start with as little as $50 and you can get that money invested right away. Again, I'm not saying that shares are better than property for this argument. I'm just making the point that property is a very capital-intensive investment class and anyone who has ever considered buying property is well aware of this fact. So when we talk about property investing, the reason I don't like property investing as an asset class is because I know it's something that would be on my mind all the time. Managing tenants, managing other human beings is something that I have actively avoided for a long time, which is probably why I'm still single and I live alone. Okay, I'm just kidding there. But there is a lot of work involved with owning an investment property. And for me personally, I love my minimalist lifestyle and my minimalist mindset. I really value having very minimal stresses or distractions or worries on my mind and therefore not owning an investment property fits that perfectly. Of course, you can hire someone to manage your investment property. That is no problem. However, there are of course added expenses that come with that. And I know that I would still be worried that one day one of my tenants would come through, throw a party and destroy my house. But you know what helps me sleep at night? I know that nobody can come in and set my ETFs on fire because they are not a physical object. And again, of course, there are unique risks that come with shares. Of course, of course. I'm just saying that I don't want to worry about other people potentially destroying my asset. Further on that, I know that if I owned a property, especially if it was a property that I lived in, I would become emotionally attached to that property and that could inhibit my ability to make rational and clear non-emotional decisions around that purchase. If I was in the market to purchase a property, there's a chance that I could have looked through my current apartment, which is a rental, and fallen in love with it for the lifestyle that it could offer me. What I might not have considered is the fact that there are hundreds of new apartments in this suburb being built, which is increasing the supply and decreasing the demand for a one-bedroom apartment. As a rational person, I do not see this to be a good investment. However, when you are going to be living in the home and owning it, it's something that you're investing a lot of money into, it can be easy for those rational decisions to be overshadowed by emotional ones. Another really interesting thing that is happening more and more now when it comes to purchasing property is that as property becomes more expensive, we're seeing more and more people buy outside of major cities and choosing to commute to the city to work. Now, obviously with COVID, this has lessened slightly. That is a really, really great um, side effect of such a tragic time in our history. However, the point still stands. As more people buy 40 minutes to an hour out of work, they are significantly increasing their working hours each day. Although they may still only be working for eight hours a day, when you add that transport time um, with commute to either side of your day, you're spending a lot more of your time in a work mindset. You're also obviously increasing your expenses on transport. Now, I don't know what your experiences are, but I know for myself personally, when I used to commute an hour into the city every day to get to work when I worked at a financial planning firm in Brisbane, I can't say I have any fond memories of sitting on that train. However, now that I am closer to work, or in my case, working fully from home, all of that time that was spent commuting is now spent exercising, cleaning, socialising, enjoying my life again. 
Now, perhaps I'm just a typical, selfish, young person, a Gen Z, um, but for me, it's all about finding the right balance between being obviously financial, financially responsible and making wise investment decisions and also enjoying my lifestyle. And for me, enjoying my lifestyle comes with living in funky, cool places like the suburb that I live in right now, which I would only live in renting because I personally would not buy here. Another reason that I prefer not to invest in property is that it gives me a sense of being tied down to something. Ignoring the fact that you have a huge mortgage hanging over your head, I have no idea where I plan to live in the next two years, five years, 10 years, or for the rest of my life. Who knows where that's going to take me? Because of that, it doesn't make any sense for me personally to purchase a property in one location if I don't know if I want to live there. Now, the um, response I get from many people of when I say that is that you could just turn that into an investment property. Of course you can. However, as I've explained before, I don't intend to be a landlord. It's not an investment that I'm excited to be a part of or want to become a part of. Therefore, owning a property makes me feel tied down at this stage of my life. So we talked about purchasing property being a capital intensive investment, meaning that you need a lot of money upfront to get your foot in the door. In addition to this, there are a lot of ongoing expenses that come with owning property. First of all, you've got the obvious one, which is the interest on your mortgage. Now, if you are living in this property, the interest that you pay on that mortgage is not tax deductible. It is essentially dead interest. It's just the money that you pay for having the privilege of having a mortgage and living in that house. However, if you have a investment property, the interest that you pay on this mortgage is in fact tax deductible. Just like if you had a loan to purchase shares, the interest on that loan is also tax deductible. Now, don't take that as advice. Speak to an accountant. It all depends on a variety of factors. Now, I don't personally wish to be paying non-deductible interest on any loans. But it's not just interest that is an ongoing expense of owning property. Anyone with half a brain would know that. There are also, of course, costs that come with keeping a property attractive and keeping up the maintenance of that property over the years, whether that be renovating, fixing things around the house, perhaps expanding the property. All these costs add up over time. So when you read the statistics about house price increases over time, it's really important to take that with a grain of salt. What they're not generally showing you is all of the dead costs that come with owning that property that the owners would have paid. It is almost impossible to know the owner's net profits on those properties because they're not sharing with you all of the costs that were associated with owning it. It is much easier to quantify the gains on investments such as shares as there aren't really many hidden or non-obvious costs as there are with property. Therefore, the true increase in value on properties that you see advertised in the newspapers, in the news, are not always necessarily an accurate reflection of the true gain that those owners or investors have made. So make sure you keep that in mind. Now, if you made it this far into my ramblings, I am very impressed. Thank you for listening. Uh, But I just wanted to end this with a question to anyone who's listening um, and is planning on purchasing property or is potentially unsure of which way they want to go. Now, with anything in life, with any goal that you have, you should always ask yourself, why do I want to achieve that goal? And if that goal is owning a home, why do you want to achieve that? It is so, so important to make sure that you're not being influenced by external factors, such as having a typical symbol of success, such as owning a home. 
I realize now for me that when I was younger, I really wanted to be known as the girl who bought a house in her early 20s because to a lot of people, that sounds like a successful woman. Now I realize that I am successful from other means and your own parameters of success are unique and personal to you. So really question, is this goal something that I created myself or is it influenced by external factors such as societal expectations or pressure from friends or family? Then once you have done that inner work and you've reached the conclusion that owning a house is truly a goal of yours that is going to bring you fulfillment, then you should ask yourself, does it need to be right now? And if I'm in a hurry, why is that? Again, am I being pressured to get my foot in the market sooner than I'm ready for? That is all I ask of anyone who is listening to this podcast today and plans to buy a property or has any goal. It's always important to question those things. So once again, I'll just state that all of these reasons are my own personal reasons and there could be something that you'd like to consider when you're questioning if buying a property is right for you. Obviously, there are many, many, many great properties out there um, and if you want to know how to find a great one, you should listen to the episode that I did with Emily from My Millennial Property. Um, Go look for that episode. It was a great episode and I learned so much. But as I said, there are many people who have bought properties, have had great success, and who knows, maybe I will join them in the future when I am more settled. Maybe I have a family. Um, Owning a home is very much possible and very much something that I might consider doing. But right now, as a Generation Z, as a 24-year-old single woman, that is not even remotely on my agenda, and that is okay. That is the message that I want to get across today to anyone who potentially feels pressure to get into the property market. There is no right or wrong when it comes to choosing an investment strategy that is right for you. Some people are comfortable with all property and that's excellent if that is right for them. Some people are more comfortable with all shares. Again, that's excellent if that's right for them. And some people prefer a mix of shares and property. Again, excellent if that is right for them. I am firmly against the notion that one strategy is better than the other because it is a deeply personal preference that is so unique to every individual. You could very easily throw me into a debate circle and I could argue all of the reasons why property is better than shares. Is that because I believe it? No, it's because there are pros and cons for both. Simple. Find what you are comfortable with and move in that direction. Now, in saying all this, I am super excited for all of our upcoming podcasts on property. I've absolutely loved chatting to different property experts and I've learned so much. And even though property is not something I'm wanting to get into right now, having that knowledge is so empowering as it means in the future, if it is something I decide to step into, I'm going to have a great educated approach to property. So I would highly, highly recommend checking out those episodes that we've done on property recently and make sure you subscribe to hear all of the future episodes that are coming up. So to wrap it up, thank you guys so, so much for listening to this episode. I would love to hear your feedback. And if you have a friend who might be interested in this episode or in learning more about money, make sure you let them know about Gen Z Money. Thanks again, guys, and I'll catch you next week. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast.
This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. 